one year I kind of got an idea, you know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in the fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Herb Lennon Game Magazine. The structure from Perigo Gorman. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got Bobcat. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the first shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for listening in. Great to have you. We're brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows with Cotsbros as your trapping supplier. Baits, lures, books, DVDs, traps, snares, everything you need. Brought to you by Onyx Maps. Use your phone this fall on the trap line as a GPS to mark your trap locations. Do your scouting using the latest aerial imagery. Get landowner information. Mark all the spots you set your traps so you don't forget where you put them. And Moyle Mink and Tannery, what are you going to do with the fur you catch this year? Or maybe you're like me, you got a little fur in the freezer from last year. Get your fur tanned to preserve it for the long term, whether you want to make stuff with it, make hats or mitts, or have a wall hanger, something to display, something to preserve those memories. Get your fur tanned by the professionals, moil.net, M-O-Y-L-E. Moil Mink in Tannery does an incredible job at a very reasonable price. And contact them at info, I-N-F-O, at moil.net to... Uh, answer help help out with any questions you might have and be sure to use their online customer portal to get your fur done quicker all right wow tonight's episode this is a long anticipated little deep dive that i wanted to do in trapping bmps best management practices uh first just a quick little uh update for folks i it's it's been, you know, it's been fairly slow over the course of the summer. Usually we have a couple of months slow period where there's not as much going on. People aren't, not as many, quite as many people listening to the podcast or uh, thinking about trapping. And then all of a sudden something happens and, and uh, I never really paid attention to the exact timing, but I want to say now that it's probably the first or second week of August, which seems a little early to me, but suddenly people just start thinking trapping. Maybe it's the days starting to get shorter. Or, uh, maybe it's just a convention season, but for some reason, it's just kind of like a switch turns on. And I noticed that this week I got a whole pile of emails from people this, this past week. So just a little heads up. If you are listening in and I haven't responded yet, that's because I've been slacking and I intend to do so at some point, but it just hasn't been something I've committed to setting down and trying to to get through. But anyway, that's good to hear that folks are getting back into things and a lot of people that hadn't listened for a while and then all of a sudden get back on and and catch up on a bunch of episodes all at once. So uh, it's good to have you guys back and uh, looking forward to a fun uh, educational, informative and productive fall in the trapping world. And speaking of educational, I've been meaning to get to this topic of best management practices or BMPs in trapping for quite a long time. I, I've got it on my list of podcast topics that's on the whiteboard here in the fur shed, and I've been wanting to do it, wanting to do it, and putting it off because simply I just had enough time to sit down and kind of gather my thoughts on it. But now uh, I, I uh, did spend uh, a couple hours just kind of doing a little bit of research and taking some notes and 
I think that I've kind of summarized BMPs adequately so that folks that are not familiar with them could can maybe get just a little bit of an introduction to BMPs, what, what they are, why they were developed, uh, and just a little bit of uh, thoughts and opinions on what they can be used for and the good and the bad of BMPs. So let's start by just defining BMP. BMP stands for Best Management Practices. And Best Management Practices are very common basically everywhere you look these days in, in business. Uh, one of the, the most common industries you see a B, BMPs in is uh, environmental related like farming and forestry where uh, there are BMPs for activities around the water that will prevent erosion, prevent sedimentation. You know, there, there's a lot of erosion control measures mulching and silt fences and things to prevent uh, problems to the environment as a result of construction or logging activities. So that's a common BMP. You see a BMPs in, in agriculture when it's uh, related to like pesticide applications to prevent improper applications or over applications or so on, uh, unintended consequences. BMPs can be just general practices that businesses implement to, to define you know what they do and why they do it in order to be more efficient and more effective at what they do. And so BMPs as a general term are can be used or, or in, a, in a wide variety of different applications. But tonight we're going to just discuss BMPs as they relate to trapping. So BMPs are here for a reason. Whether we like it or not, they're here for a reason. And that reason goes back to 1991, a little bit of history from 30 years ago. And where this all got started was, of course, you know, we're, we're in a, a continually evolving process in society where we're always trying to make things better and improve on things and become more efficient, become more effective and, uh, you know, do things in a more ethical manner for the most part. I mean, some industries, maybe not so much, but, but I think we're, we're moving towards improvement in general as a society. Uh, at the same time of that general improvement, there's also been different uh, societal changes. For instance, uh, something that is not an improvement was the uh, beginnings of the sort of modern animal rights movement, where there was a huge uproar in society, certain segments of society uh, in, in regards to how animals were treated uh, and primarily trying to attack trapping and put animals' rights ahead of uh, human rights, which which is kind of ironic um, in, in a lot of ways. But, but basically it was an anti-fur, anti-trapping, PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, and all that kind of uh, huge undertones uh, around society. And for us as trappers, it was difficult because, you know, we are trying to do things in as humane a manner as possible. But this, these groups wanted absolutely no part of it. They wanted to have zero, zero animal killing whatsoever. So that was a problem. And what happened was in 1991, the European Union passed something called the Wild Fur Regulation. And this was a law that basically prohibited foothold traps, uh, the use of foothold traps in many of the European Union countries, and it also banned fur imports from countries that either allowed foothold traps or didn't have specific animal welfare standards. So as a result of that uh, wild fur regulation, the United States and the European Union uh, entered into this agreement. It was a non-binding agreement uh, that had kind of it was kind of an understanding between the EU and the US that the United States would work towards developing a standard set of best management practices for trapping um, that would be uh, available to uh, trappers throughout the United States. Now th this was j not going into too many details uh, primarily because I, I wasn't around at the time and I don't know the, the exact verbiage of the this agreement. But it, basically, I think there was an underlying recognition that the United States, uh, similar to the EU, kind of, uh, it, the United States is not the regulator of trapping um, in, in the U.S. Uh, the individual states are responsible for regulating trapping within their respective state. 
And so the U.S. Uh, recognizing that uh, it, it was not going to be feasible and uh, probably not politically acceptable to implement national standards uh, like Canada has done on uh, on individual states and, and their trapping practices, the U.S. Uh, was was willing to put forth this effort to develop standards that the states could then individually choose whether they wanted to implement or not. And as an added advantage, the states could implement some and not implement others. Because as we know, each state is unique um, geographically. It's also unique uh, as far as its population and what the desires and needs are of, of the people, the majority of people in those states. And so it, Every state is a little bit different, and there's no one-size-fits-all solution. So the U.S. entered into this agreement, and uh, the the whole BMP thing was kind of started around 1998. And the, the group that headed this BMP effort up was the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, which is, uh, uh, as, as you might imagine, uh, uh, as the name implies, it's a group of all of the fish and wildlife agencies in the 50 uh, states in the U.S. And these uh, individual agencies get together as part of this group. They formed a sort of a committee for animal welfare standards. I can't remember exactly what it was called. But this committee's job was to develop a set of standardized protocols for the, the uh, best management practices process to take place. So this this all started a long uh, effort, a very, very uh, concentrated, focused, and uh, massive effort to develop, test and develop best management practices for individual fur bears in the United States. The standard protocols that were set up uh, included there there are basically five different protocols that were used to develop best management practices which I thought was was really um, a, a wise framework for for setting things up and, and implementing this because it, it recognize you have to recognize that animal welfare is very important but it's not the only important thing involved when it comes to BMPs and their standards and so they used a, a you know, animal welfare and four other criteria in order to judge these. Because you can't just say, oh, well, the, we're only going to judge these based on animal welfare and then have a set of traps that are recommended in BMPs that are just not practical at all to use because either they're not affordable or they, they just, they don't make sense. And no trappers aren't going to use them. They're not going to be able to catch fur. They're not going to be able to solve animal damage problems. And uh, the whole thing's not going to work. And so the people who put this together were pretty forward-thinking and understood that, th that there were a number of different criteria that needed to be evaluated. These include animal welfare, efficiency, selectivity, practicality, and safety. So animal welfare, actually, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause. I'm going to open up the, one of the BMP documents. Uh, there are a few documents here that I'll try to link to in the show notes of the podcast so that you can... Uh, pull them up and and actually look through them yourself for added information and maybe to pick up things that I might have missed but I'm going to go through the definition of these five criteria that were used to evaluate BMPs. So starting with animal welfare uh, this is what what they use to measure animal welfare um, as part of BMPs. Trauma scales used to determine a level of animal welfare performance for restraining traps are presented as guidelines in ISO International Organization for Standardization document da 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 1099-5 or whatever. Uh, one scale allocates points to specific injuries including a zero score for uninjured animals. The other scale groups specific injuries into classes ranging from none to severe. A combination of both systems was used in this evaluation process. The primary species captured in traps that meet BMP performance criteria must have an average cumulative score of 55 points or less according to one scale. According to the other scale, 70% or more of those in the sample must have no injuries or only have trauma described as mild or moderate. So basically what they're doing is they're looking at any injuries to the animals as a result of being in the trap. Second criteria is efficiency. 
Traps meeting BMP criteria must be able to capture and hold at least 60% of the primary species of interest that activate the trap. An activated trap is one that has been sprung. So for every time a trap sprung, uh, you have to have an animal sitting there waiting for you when you, you check it at least 60% of the time. Uh, an activated cable device is one that has cable loop closed. Um, so they're, but basically what they're saying is welfare, selectivity, all the other stuff doesn't matter much if the trap doesn't catch anything. So they got to be efficient. Selectivity. Traps should be set and used in a fashion that limits the risk of capturing non-fur bears, including domestic animals, while increasing the chances of capturing desired fur bear species. Data concerning selectivity were collected in field studies and used to identify those traps that have features that influence selectivity. These features and any special considerations are provided in mechanical description and attributes section for each BMTP designated trap. Uh, the fourth criteria is practicality. Traps should be practical for use in the field under trapline conditions. Again, it, it wouldn't make sense to have these BMPs if they didn't make sense for trappers to actually use. After a particular BMP trap test, each trapper was asked for information regarding practicality. These comments were then reviewed to detect any traps with consistently poor scores. In addition, a panel of experienced trappers and wildlife biologists evaluated each trap and considered the following cost of initial purchase and maintenance, replacement of parts, ease in setting and resetting, ease of transport and storage, weight and dimensions, reliability, versatility, expected usable lifespan, and the need for specialized training prior to use. Uh, and then finally, safety trap should not present a significant risk to the user and if necessary should have appropriate safety features, safety tools, or a combination of the two that can be used easily under normal trapline conditions. Each trapper testing traps for the BMP project was asked to judge whether tested traps posed an unreasonable risk to the user or others who might come into contact with the trap. A panel of experienced trappers, wildlife biologists then evaluated each trap. Safety issues, if any, are described in more detail uh, later in this document. So um, th those are the five criteria that were used to to evaluate the BMPs. So this panel kind of got together and and developed these criteria and then decided how this was all going to be measured. Now some of the goals when BMPs were being set up were to make sure that uh, this was done in a scientific manner and in a manner that was was very repeatable because the BMPs were always designed to be an ongoing process where continued testing could could be done in future years, either to evaluate new traps or to evaluate traps uh, under differing conditions and so forth. So um, the, the, stand, the setup of standard protocols was really important uh, for this, this uh, beginning of this process. And the ultimate goal of this whole process was to develop a set of guidelines for trappers and, and state wildlife management agencies and also just overall work towards continued improvement of traps and trapping systems. Um, this this was you know a 20 year project just to get the first real set of BMPs uh, put together so it, it was a big deal it was a big effort. Now I want to uh, go back to the beginning just uh, for just a little bit because uh, this this was not an easy project and it was not uh, always very well supported in, within the trapping uh, uh, within the trapping community so it, the BMPs were very controversial now I, I do need to mention that Canada has its own set of, of BMPs these are called best trapping practices and I'm not uh, uh, completely familiar with the Canadian system. I have looked through their their best trapping practices document that they have published, and it's actually uh, it's really useful. It has a lot of really good pictures, diagrams, and stuff that visually uh, explain the different practices. Um, now, not being a Canadian or operating a Canadian trap line, uh, I can only tell you from uh, talking with other people in certain parts of Canada and and learning from. Uh, from based on what I've heard, uh, my understanding is that essentially BMPs are basically mandatory in Canada. Now, for some situations, that might not be a big deal. If uh, you're a Martin Trapper, you're going to use 
pretty much the 120 body grip trap in most of your sets and that's a BMP approved trap in Canada and uh, you're all good to go no problem uh, however if you're in Canada you cannot use a foothold trap for, uh, for Martin you can't use like a one and a half long spring for Martin like we use here in the US and the, there's uh, there are only a few traps that you can use for instance for wolves wolves or coyotes in Canada so this is uh, it's something where you know some Canadians, a lot of Canadians, you know, I've heard of actually don't have any issues with this system. That would not work in the United States. Uh, we do not like the idea of being regulated. We are uh, a vastly um, geographically different place with with uh, huge variations in in climate, weather conditions. Uh, populations and not to say Canada is not but we're we're certainly more uh, variable in, in our conditions in the US when you when you look at uh, uh, ranging from the southeast to uh, to the to the west the Great Plains all the way up to places like Alaska you know it, it's it's varied uh, politically we have varied political environments where our government is less centralized than Canada in terms of uh, wildlife management and uh, Americans are very independent. We don't like the idea of being regulated by a few people who um, we may not agree with. And so uh, trapping BMPs, although they, I believe, are mandatory in Canada, were probably never going to be mandatory in the U.S. However, uh, that was uh, a fear among many trappers. And, and um, the just we could probably spend an hour just talking about the pros and cons of of trappers supporting the bmp process because there are like any good story there are two sides and to uh to this argument and i'm not sure that i entirely sit on one side or the other i i would tend to lean toward supporting the bmp process and in the implementation but I also recognize that there are a lot of uh, disadvantages to that as well. But that basically, um, be, there, there was a threat that we would not be able to sell our fur to Europe, our European U Union countries, if we didn't develop some sort of standards. Um, we recognized that developing mandatory standards was not going to work effectively. It is going to be very limiting, and it wasn't going to get a lot of support politically or among the trapping community. So we met somewhere in the middle and and developed these standards, with the um, always the the long-standing statement that among from AFWA, um, the developers of the BMP, that this was not going to be mandatory. These were going to be voluntary. Um, and, and educational. That that was always the statement, and that has not changed from the beginning. Now, um, the the big argument among trapping community was that these are going to be mandatory, and and we don't want to box ourselves in and and basically uh, help to dig our own grave um, and for the the eventual end of the trapping industry. Uh, very understandable because a lot of times you have certain laws that start and. They start real small and then they grow and grow and grow and you never, you lose the ability to do something you never seem to be able to get it back. Um, it's always two, three, four, five times as hard to get it back as it was to lose it. And so it, I understand that argument. However, the other side of the argument was, well, um, we if we don't do this, we're not going to be able to uh, have a place to sell our fur, which essentially would end the majority of the industry anyway or a good part of the industry and and also uh, th that th who would you rather participate in this now they needed a lot of assistance from trappers but if they didn't get assistance from trappers who's going to do it you're going to have people that aren't familiar with the uh, all the small details on a trap line with with what trappers deal with and have to go through on a regular basis. Uh, you'd have um, people, scientists, trying to evaluate BMPs without the uh, background that trappers have to provide perspective. And the overarching idea of this that, that I can see now, and I don't know back in 
back in those days if it was uh, widely accepted was that, guys, we want animal welfare and trapping. And what we see as animal welfare and what the, the, uh, in what we do and what the animal rights people think we do are two totally different things. And what the BMPs do is bring, uh, bring our activity out into the light and show people what we're doing. Now, in some cases, people might say, well, you know, we don't want that because then we're going to put ourselves out as a target. But at the same time, if you're not doing anything wrong, why do you need to hide it? And so I, I think it was really uh, just that actually last year, this the final, like the first final document of BMPs of 20 years of evaluating BMPs was actually published in a scientific journal. And the results were pretty staggering, I think, to a lot of people about how humane trapping actually is when it's done right. So um, I, I think it, it has it had the huge potential to um, to really show, you know, validate a lot of the stuff that we're doing. And so so that that was a big argument. It was very controversial at the time. It still is controversial among a lot of people. And there are places that have taken BMPs and made them mandatory. Uh, some for maybe good reason, some not so much. But uh, the the intention of the BMPs is is not for them not to be mandatory, but to be again um, advisory and educational, um, and, and and just allow trappers and others to to use that information towards uh, improving the industry. In fact, here's a statement from one of the AFWA documents. It says, trapping BMPs provide options, allowing for discretion and decision-making in the field. BMPs are meant to be implemented in a voluntary and educational approach and do not present a single choice that can or must be applied in all cases. And BMPs are the product of ongoing work and may be updated as additional traps are, are identified. So, the BMP process, just a a quick simple framework for for what went on there was a a development of criteria then they went through the testing process which involved a lot of trappers in a lot of different states uh, evaluating these BMP traps using the specific criteria this was a lot of huge voluntary effort among a lot of trappers and uh, very intensive data collection they would collect all types of different information on what was used, the methods, uh, what the catches, the different species caught. Uh, they went through the health scores and, and looked for injuries in all the species and everything else. And this resulted in a couple of different things. There, there's this huge, massive database uh, uh, of BMP results and testing details. And however, the documents that we see as the public and trappers don't show all the details that are um, presented in in those testing results and it, it just I think it would just be so overwhelming such an overwhelming amount of information that it would be hard for folks to understand and contextualize but uh, what what we see there's there's basically two different things that are available to us today as a result of the BMP efforts um, one is the species-specific best management practices documents, and those are available for 22 different species, I believe. Yep. Um, and w basically what that shows is for each species, you can click on the BMP, you can pull up this PDF, and it shows you the different traps that, were, were, um, that, that are considered best management practices traps for that species. And that will typically include foothold traps, body grip traps, and uh, snares uh, where applicable or cage traps where applicable. Uh, that document though only shows you traps that were approved. They're BMP approved traps. That means they pass all those tests. They pass the tests for animal welfare, they pass the tests for efficiency, selectivity, practicality, and safety. So it, you can pull this up and you can see the different species. And I think what we'll do is in future podcast episodes, we'll, we'll go through individual uh, species, BMPs, and, and get really down in the mud and, and get detailed on this. So you can have a better understanding not only of the process, but also how to 
most effectively and humanely trap for these different species. And what they'll have is they'll, they'll have details on a specific trap. And then they'll say, basically, the model we tested was, for instance, the MB750 for beavers. That's the model we tested. But if you have a trap that meets the same criteria, the same size with the same springs, jaw spread, and so forth, um, that trap meets these BMP criteria as well. So it's not like you have to buy that specific trap, but it does have to have the same working uh, uh, parts and, and it has to be essentially the same trap physically. So um, for instance, if you had like an MB550 and then you had the Duke knockoff version of the MB550, both would be BMP approved traps under that MB550 type category. And then it talks about, it, it gives you all kinds of different situations in which that trap should be set to meet uh, BMP criteria. So, so you get the pass, you get, you get the, the details, you get also a lot of really cool, good advice on how to avoid non-targets, how to most effectively catch uh, that animal that you're targeting, and also how to avoid injuries and, and based on uh, details that are associated with trapping that maybe not directly related to the actual trap, like swiveling or how, you know how to anchor your trap, things like that. So that's the, those are like the common public-facing BMP documents. But the other thing that just came out this past year is an overarching BMP publication that was published in Scientific Peer-Reviewed Journal, Wildlife Monographs, and it's called Best Management Practices for Trapping Fur Bears in the United States. And it's 57 pages long, and it goes through the details of the this whole long, drawn-out, labor-intensive process and data-intensive process of BMP testing and gave some really nice key results into the, the BMP. So this is more of a technical document. It's you know more written on the, for the scientific community, but it, it is really interesting and it provides a lot of the information that you don't see in the actual BMP documents that, that are produced for public use. And I want to go through this publication and just give you some sort of takeaways on the BMP process and some of the results, just so you can have a better idea of, of what BMPs really have resulted in and, and what this all means. So from this 2020 publication, it, it, going through like, you know, what was tested and how it was tested, these criteria that we just talked about recently were evaluated uh, among uh, for 84 models of traps uh, tested on 19 fur bearers. Um, now I, I told you there were 22 I think, but um, not all fur bearers had sufficient data to be like statistically significant where they could you know be in peer-reviewed journal and uh, and so th they, the what was actually tested and the results were differed just a little bit because of uh, usually it had to do with sample size there just weren't enough catches of a particular species um, t in order to to make a, a statistically valid statement uh, but this resulted in 231 trap species combination so um, you know like a number two foothold coil spring foothold trap for coyote would be one trap species combination. Um, there was sufficient data to evaluate 173 of these trap species combinations. They tested these in five different areas. Alaska, the Great Plains in the West, United States, the Midwest, the Northeast, and the Southeast. So they could compare um, how BMPs worked in different areas and, and if they actually differed among geographical area. They did post-mortem evaluations on 8,566 fur bears captured by trappers. Um, that is a lot, 80, over 8,500 fur bears that they, they looked into and checked for injuries and, and health and so forth. Now let's get into some of the results of this massive BMP study. Um, overall, 59% um, of the trap species combinations met all BMP criteria. 
Now that is a, a very broad statement and it's really hard to piece apart much of you know what that actually means because there's just there's so many different variables that would result in something not meeting a BMP criteria. Uh, whether it's the animal welfare side, whether it's the practicality, for instance, maybe uh, uh, cage traps could could meet uh, BMP criteria for animal welfare for say a bobcat, but maybe they didn't didn't meet practicality criteria because you can't fit a bunch of them in your truck and you can't uh, efficiently move them around things like that. Uh, I don't know the specific details in a lot of those. Uh, overall, uh, comparing regions there was very little regional differences in the BMPs in terms of, of how they um, you know how, how they scored from one region to another and so what that means is uh, it's, it's a pretty good indicator that if you have a trap that's tested as a BMP in the Northeast and it works well it's probably going to work in the Southwest um, there, there's a pretty good chance that that you can apply that to different areas um, Interesting fact about padded jaw traps. Uh, I thought this was worth mentioning because uh, you remember years ago when padded jaw padded jaw traps were like the end all be all of the animal rights people. They're like, oh, we need to have padded jaw traps on all all traps that are out there, and this is the humane way to do things, and blah blah. blah. And it was just because you know it makes it seems to make intuitive sense where. Well, you got pads on the jaws, and it's not going to hurt the animal's foot. These are, you know, people. A lot of people that were saying this were also people who thought we still used steel tooth jawed traps or razor sharp traps to hurt animals' feet or legs or whatever. So um, they tested. You know, padded jaw traps were tested, and they they did perform better than standard jaw traps for animal injuries. However, they did not seem to perform better overall than offset or laminated jaw models. And in fact, in some cases, padded jaw traps performed worse than offset or laminated jaws. So, so that is very interesting because initially, one of the most common things the trappers thought was when, when these BMPs were coming into play was that, oh, I'm not going to be able to use my standard foothold traps that I, I have that I own now and I use on my trap line because they're going to make us all go to padded jaws. Well, let's look at the science. And, and that's kind of why I, I tend to be, uh, align myself more in the pro BMP pro, uh, non mandatory BMP camp, because I think the science it usually bears this stuff out. And when you look at the science, it actually shows that, Hey, if you have an offset laminated jaw, in a lot of cases, that performs as well or better than the padded jaw trap. So these are important points, very interesting results that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, most traps had a high capture efficiency. Only 3% of traps that were tested actually failed in capture efficiency. I think that criteria was, if I remember right, 60% of sprung traps had to have an animal. And of course, you are dealing with very experienced trappers, for the most part, that were testing these. So it's not like a beginner trapper that's got a bunch of fired traps and, and doesn't catch catch the animal. Um, so so the capture efficiency was good. Also, interestingly, you know, they, they had the traps that were tested had enough holding power as well. Um, what this didn't show, though, was, you know, there were some traps that that were tested for certain species that I personally felt were too small for for me to use on a line for instance like uh, number 11 double long spring was tested on beaver um, that'll catch beaver but beavers got that's a very small jaw spread that's like less than four inches and if if that beaver doesn't step inside those jaws the trap doesn't fire that's not considered a miss from their efficiency uh, measurements um, criteria and so you, you, th that, those are things you have to consider as well, is that that's maybe efficient when the trap is fired, it does hold the animal. It's a strong trap. It's, it's got a lot of holding power, got good leverage on, um, from the springs and lock up in the jaws. But um, you may not get every animal that comes past you. Selectivity of the traps was very high. Um, that selectivity meant, remember, that you caught what you were targeting 
um, you avoided non-target catches. Selectivity ranged from 88% to 99%, depending on the situation. Um, in restraining traps and foothold traps um, or foot snares, mortality was very low. Mortality was um, like 0.5%, half a percent. Um, and measuring non-targets, uh, we've got some got some data here on non-targets. This is a interesting point because the anti-trapping community, one of the arguments that they often make is that trappers, uh, traps are non-discriminant and these guys are out there and they're killing all kinds of non-target animals, constantly catching other animals in the traps and and they're killing threatened endangered species and they're, they're killing every all these different animals and it's so terrible and they're trapped. And, and trappers have argued for a long time that non targets are a small percentage of what we catch and traps are very selective, especially if you know what you're doing. This is a very key point. Over 230,000 trap nights across a 21-year period, zero, no individuals of a threatened or endangered species were captured. Think about that. 230,000 trap nights and no threatened or endangered species were captured in this testing process. That's a big deal. That that's a real big deal, and that tells the antis that they're that what that those arguments they're making are are complete false falsehoods and lies. Um, now let's get into what was caught as far as non-targets. There were uh, a total of 9,589 total captures. Um, of those captures, 11% were non-fur bears. Of those non-fur bears, uh, and essentially non-target captures, 83% of those 11% were alive in the trap. And of the ones that were dead, that 17% of the 11% that were dead in the trap, um, nearly all of them were birds, rabbits, or squirrels. So very tiny animals that are very common and have very short lifespans and die every day. Um, and, and so uh, the dogs and cats that were caught, there were 2% feral or free-ranging dogs were caught. None of those dogs died, and none of them needed veterinary care when they were evaluated for injuries. Uh, 3% of the, uh, the non-target captures were feral cats. Um, two of those feral cats were dead when caught. None of the others were injured or needed veterinary care. And so uh, overall, the statistics show that non-target catches are extremely low, and the ones that do occur are very minor. Um, looking by species, a couple of interesting points uh, for restraining traps or foothold traps. Um, the, there was a lot of variability among species on which ones uh, how they responded to uh, different uh, types of traps, and and how you know how they the level of injury that was experienced, um, the net injury score. Um, basically, most of the traps met the injury score criteria for bobcat and badger. In other words, those animals were were not you know badgers just like to dig, they don't really seem to fight the trap too bad. And bobcats don't fight the trap. You know, bobcat and lynx just don't don't fight the trap. Um, and so they met the injury score criteria in most situations. However, very few of the traps uh, in testing situations met criteria those criteria for muskrat. And that makes sense because muskrats have very small feet um, relative to the the traps. They they're very light and the feet are very small relative to the body. And so there's there is a high, a much higher probability of, of injury for muskrat. Fortunately, though, the vast majority of muskrat sets can be done in a manner that that provides uh, drowning and, and quick kill for those animals. Also, by the way, the body grip section, there were criteria for number of seconds that the animal had to be killed and and that sort of thing. So those were all tested and and um, and worked out. And um, as, after you know, looking over all these results, uh, and as part of the BMP process, they also implemented a nationwide survey, um, kind of as things were starting to wrap up for BMPs, BMP testing, to kind of just determine, okay, we've tested all these traps, and we've got all the BMPs 
Um, but is this actually what we tested? Is this actually consistent with what's being used in the United States among the trapping community? Because again, it's not going to be mandatory. It's, it's uh, voluntary and educational. Some states are going to adopt this, but we want to know, you know, we found out what is BMP compliant. Let's figure out whether United States trappers are actually practicing um, uh, this, carrying out their trapping activities in a manner that's consistent with BMPs or maybe not at all. And in 2015, Responsive Management did a survey uh, among trappers in the United States to determine what methods were used. And they kind of uh, matched this up to, you know, what people were using to what was tested under BMPs. And what the results showed that 75% of all target fur bears in the United States were taken in BMP compliant traps. And in addition, there were another 10% that were taken in traps that weren't non-compliant, but they just haven't been tested yet under BMPs. For instance, TS-85 hasn't been tested. Um, the Canine Extreme, no BS Canine Extreme trap. Those, those traps haven't been tested because they either weren't out during the BMP process, so they just weren't popular enough to be considered as a BMP trap. And so um, up to 85% could have been uh, taken in BMP compliant traps and situations. So overall, that's that's where we're at with BMPs. I hope that was a uh, fairly informative introduction to them. Um, I have just a few other takeaways kind of uh, that, that I, I got from the BMP process. I mean, the, these, if BMPs are used in a voluntary educational manner, um, I, I think they're a great thing. I, I don't think that uh, they should be used to, to mandate certain trapping practices. However, I do think that the vast majority of trappers want to do things right, want to avoid injury to animals wherever possible, and can use common sense. Guys, we can use common sense out there on the trap line if we have the information. And a lot of you are newer trappers, haven't been in it for a long time, don't have a whole lot of experience. Um, and so we can't expect you to really understand fully, you know, how to implement BMPs. Um, for instance, I, you know, I, uh, one trapper went out fisher trapping last fall and made some really good catches. But he said, you know what, we were foothold trapping and I just really didn't like the damage uh, the foot damage that we saw, I think they were using number two double long springs, which would not be a BMP compliant um, fisher trap, uh, as far as I know. We'll go into species specifics again in future future episodes. But um, and so they said, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna go with body grips next year. Now uh, I think you could also look into different modifications, either to those existing traps or other foothold traps, where you could be BMP compliant. And, uh, and not see those type of injuries, regardless of whether it's mandated in your state. We want to do the right thing, um, and and the right thing's a little different for everybody. Um, but, but in general, I think we can use the BMPs to make those decisions. BMPs, they can inform uh, trappers on how to avoid incidental catches. In, in those BMP documents, there's a lot of good information on how to avoid uh, incidental non-targets. They can help trappers become more effective because they provide a, a good understanding of the biology of the animals that were tested. PMPs inform trap and trap modification options. Uh, whether that means for specific species you want to offset the jaws or, or add jaw laminations. Maybe you want to put on a little different spring if your springs are a little too strong. Uh, maybe you want to, uh, to, to set things up in a completely different way uh, in order to provide a quicker kill or, or provide less injury for a live restraining trap. BMPs can inform trap purchases. If you're there at, uh, at the store and you're looking on shelves, maybe you're at the hardware store and you see those, uh, those Duke traps, uh, number three Dukes, and you want to pick those up for fox trapping and then you look at the BMPs, you might say, well, maybe a one and three quarter uh, might be a little better option, or you know maybe MB550 would be better 
in this situation or even a 450 um, that, that can help inform uh, your decision to make the purchase and the BMPs can help trap manufacturers decide on on new designs and how they can make their traps uh, more BMP compliant in the future so um, overall I, I think it was a good process I, I, I could you know it I can understand folks that would disagree with that but um, that's what BMPs are. That's how they've uh, worked to date. Again, some places are uh, mandating certain portions of BMPs. Uh, I think regardless of what's going on on that front, we as trappers can use BMPs to be more informed, more humane, more effective, safer, and just better trappers. So it's a good deal. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get into the Cots Bros message of the week. Now is the time to buy trapping supplies. Cots Bros says that a lack of preparation on your part does not create an emergency for Cots Brothers the week before the season. With supply chain issues and limited availability, a successful trap line starts now. So go ahead and get your trapping supplies ahead of time from Cots Bros because you really don't know whether things are going to be available when you get closer to the season. Um, I actually need to make a list of everything I have here and see what I need to order before it's too late. So get on it, CotsBros.com. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Thank you guys for listening in. As always, if you have questions or comments related to BMPs or anything else, feel free to send me a message at jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Until next time, oh, check out the Trapping Today store. Get your trapping lure. I've been selling a little bit of long-distance call the last week. People are getting ready. That's going to ship to you vacuum sealed so you don't have to worry about stinking things up even in August. Go to trappingtodaystore.com. Check that out. Get your Mustella t-shirts, get your Walter Arnold Maine Trapper book or Fall Fur Hunt in Maine book um, and whatever else we got going on there. Oh, your coffee mug, Trapping Today coffee mug. Get into it. All right, guys, till next time, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. Catch you on the next episode.